All right, hi everyone, and welcome back to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. My name's Colin, I'm the main host, uh, and joining me uh, for uh, another round and part two of our discussion on the Avatar The Last Airbender comic imbalance is Fran from Healthy Dose Fran. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back and for not seeing that this may have been a terrible decision on your part. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, uh, we, we, we finished recording a, uh, a great part one um, in which we will tell our listeners, please check out part one. Um, we are, di- we are diving, uh, we are dividing uh, all these uh, kind of different parts of imbalance into three separate episodes. Uh, so be sure to check out part one uh, that we recorded and uh, listen to that before listening into this one because we'll have some nice uh, threads of conversation that will continue from uh, the previous uh, previous episode. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So again, we were talking about the Avatar the Last Airbender comic Imbalance that came out pretty recently here. Um, we are dealing now with part two. Uh, in the first part, to kind of do a little bit of a recap, uh, we saw Aang and the gang travel to the town of Cranefish Town, um, oh. and <laughs> which we learned is going to be uh, what is going to one day become Republic City. Um, and they discovered that there were some bender and non-bender tensions uh, due to mm-hmm. some technological improvements and the fact that we've got uh, some... Uh, amazing machinery developed by Satoru and Earth and Fire Industries. Uh, we have machines that have now been able to kind of make benders, who are the kind of bread and butter of these companies, obsolete. Um, and they have lost jobs and now are being forced to uh, find work in means that are not so nice, a.k.a. crime, in which everyone is concerned about the uh, ramifications there. Um, mm-hmm. As we saw, uh, Ang and the gang went. Uh, Ang and Sokka went to the business council meeting uh, to be able to try and come to a compromise. Uh, Toph's father Lau wanted to uh, ban bending altogether, um, and uh, <laughs> Ang was like, "Let's uh, let's hold up on that, um, <laughs> and instead, uh, let's uh, let's like get a new police force in." We had one of the council members, Lilling, uh, step forward and say, "Hey, my peeps can do it," but. We found out quickly that uh, Lilling is not at all who we think she might be. Uh, the machines at the Earth and Fire Industries and other factories were sabotaged. And uh, seemingly, the culprits are in the pocket of Lilling. Uh, we had some uh, ni- nice little moment between Katara and Aang, uh, reflecting on the struggles of kind of this whole situation. And, of course, uh, the last scene that we had was uh, Lilling's two daughters, Yaling and Rue, um, coming back to tell her that the uh, the man who sabotaged the equipment, who they thought was going to be another loose end, hopefully taken down, falling off the cliff, was saved by the Avatar. But, Lilling said, plans are now in motion, and not even the Avatar can stop them. So that brings us to part two. Uh, part two was written, of course, again, by Faith Aaron Hicks, uh, art again by Peter Wartman, uh, this time colors by, uh, Adele Matera and lettering again by Richard Starkins and comic crafts, Jimmy Battencourt. So things we're keeping in mind with the series, uh, the connections to Legend of Korra. We definitely talked about that in our last episode, um, oh, and yeah. how this is definitely 
definitely setting up uh, setting up a lot of things there. Uh, bender and non-bender tensions, obviously, main core conflict of this story. Uh, and then the pros and cons of economic and technological prosperity. Talked about mm. kind of the rise of a capitalistic society and kind of the uh, good things that came from that, but a lot of the bad things as well. Oh, so many bad. Yes. <laughs> Including the names. I'm still unhappy about the names, Colin. The names. Yeah, that focus oh. group. <laughs> oh, that focus. The focus groups have really messed up. They just, they just, what age group are they looking at? Because I'm going to go with it's, it's not the right one. It's not the right age group. They, they're, they're targeting the wrong demographic here. They need to look at the new people, the young people. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, they say kids like animals and cranefish are animals. So, you know, maybe that'll be a way. And, you know, business council is pretty direct. So I guess, you know, that could just be a way to show it. No, no. You guys, you guys need to make room for Sokka, the true master of naming things. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I dread to think what they're going to call their police force when it comes about. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. The f- the force of police. No. Oh no, my god. Horrible. Oh my god. That, that's what they're gonna go with though, Colin. They're gonna hear they're gonna hear this podcast and they're gonna think, Oh, that's a great name. Yes, the force of police. <laughs> and it's gonna happen and I'm gonna blame you. I'm gonna come back here, uh, Colin, and I'm gonna say you did this. You you did you know it what? all. It's just it's 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 all setting up Sokka to uh, come back with the with the you know, the really solid name. You got to start with something bad so that the really good name stands out even more. (laughs) So, uh, you know, this uh, diving into part two, it starts off um, kind of immediately where we left off. Uh, We are at Earth and Fire Industries uh, post-attack. Aang uh, returns to kind of debrief everyone and reveals uh, that the man that he managed to save gave up his employer. Two young women, one an earthbender. Uh, so there's two teenage girls who hired him out. Uh, it's a mystery, and thus we need Detective Sokka on the case. Yes. <laughs> and Sokka whips out his freaking detective's hat. Oh my goodness. Oh. And we get Katara saying, like, I can't, uh, she's like, I can't believe that you, like, saved that hat for, like, so long. And Sokka's like, I can't believe you think I would ever get rid of this hat. Do you even know me? <laughs> Gosh, Katara, this hat is a part of him. He is one with the hat and the hat is with him. That is, that, oh, <laughs> if he doesn't say that at one point, I'm going to be disappointed. Yes. Um, so uh, the the gang uh, decides to explore the uh, the rubble of the, uh, the five factories that were attacked. Um, and it's Sokka who makes the connection. Uh, that all the factories are owned by non-benders and that the attacks were clearly carried out by benders. Um, He says, benders destroyed a factory filled with machines that can do what only benders used to be able to do. Aang responds, and now there are machines that make things a little more equal. And Sokka says, which makes certain benders feel threatened direct foreshadowing to the first season of Korra. We already had some like glimpses in the last, like mm. in part one, but man, it is coming on thick with oh, this part. Gosh. I mean, it is really that it is really that thread that is moving into Korra. Completely. And can we just take a moment to appreciate the intelligence 
of soccer in this moment. Like, he didn't even need, like, a moment. He just needed to look around and instantly he could figure out why this has happened, what had led to this to happening. And it just shows how intelligent and how often we forget how intelligent he is. Like, he knew almost instantly what happened and why. And he knows exactly what he's talking about. They feel, Benders feel threatened. He understands that. Like, the war being case in point, like the Fire Nation were threatened by the airbenders in some form or whatever. Well, I don't know what Sozin was on. He was on something to think the airbenders were a threat. <laughs> um, and that led to the Hundred Year War and the attack on the Water Tribes, the attack on the Earth Kingdom. And Sokka just recognises all of this and he kind of sees this connection between the Hundred Year War and what's going on in Cranesfish Town just on a smaller and kind of polar opposite level and just uh smart soccer needs more attention well and i mean i think it's it's a classic thing of you know we see this very silly moment with him in the hat but you know it's he's a silly character we will sometimes people will write him off just as comic relief but i think that that's it's it's both his greatest advantage and sometimes like his greatest hindrance is that, you know, if people don't take him seriously because of the silly things he says, it's also what makes him be able to, you know, kind of, you know, if people aren't taking him seriously, you know, he's got to work that much harder for people to believe him. And, like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. He has worked so hard over this time yeah. that he comes to these conclusions, and it's it's from a vast amount of experience that he's had traveling with the Avatar. The next scene that we get is uh, going to uh, Lilling's Palace. Oh, um, my gosh. She, uh, as the gang kind of goes in, they have, uh, cause you know, Aang is like, you know, maybe we can talk to her, um, you know, see if she can help us kind of bridge the gap, um, between benders and non-benders. She can help out, you know, with the repairs of these factories and everything. So we get the gang walking into this beautiful home. It is lavish, but of course, Toph is like, nah, I've lived in fancier <laughs> places. <laughs> oh, Toph. Uh, so good. <laughs> Uh, so the gang sits down uh, with Lilling and, uh, you know, she asks Aang about, you know, how he feels about Cranefish Town's rapid progress. Um, she also says, like, welcome to my oh humble my home. God. And like Sokka's like, uh, does she know what the word oh humble my means? God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Aang talks about the, the uh, you know, he's talking about how. You know, yeah, it's been crazy to see how everything's developed, but you know, it's also this is this is what happens. I'm sure the words of uh, Sokka's wisdom of the uh, the lion turtle of progress you can't stop it because it will crush you, uh, echoing in his mind. Um, you know, but Ang talks about the attacks on the factories, and he proposes that Lilling uh, help bridge the gap. Um, and as he's like having this conversation. <laughs> During this whole scene, we see Momo interacting oh, with her cat. Um, this is, it's such a small choice, but like, it feels like something that they would absolutely do in oh, an Avatar The Last Airbender episode. Like, <laughs> things are happening, but Momo is just getting yeah. into it, like in the I background. Did, did, I don't know why, but when I was reading it, you know, his like, his little theme music of, I was hearing that playing in my head as I read that scene. I was like, if this was an episode, that would 100% be playing every time it was seeing that going on in the background. And I was like, I love it. 
I love it. <laughs> well, again, I mean, I think that's that's a testament to uh, you know Jeremy's up oh, yeah. the track team. It's just like they you have like kind of these like light motifs for all the mm-hmm. different characters, and Momo's is very clearly that memorable like. Oh, it's so good. I kind of I want it as my ringtone just just to bring me a little bit of joy every time my phone goes off. And, uh, you know, as, like, Momo and the cat are kind of, like, having the showdown, the cat knocks over a statue oh. of Kiyoshi. And, of course, Momo yeah. is blamed. Like, oh. the cat is like, yeah, no one's going to believe it was me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's so great because I think it's, like, it's this great, like, even though it's a silly mm-hmm. aside, it's a reflection of, like, it's a reflection of Lily. Oh. She is the one doing all of this stuff and like she is the one mucking uh-huh. it up. But like they don't they don't blame the cat. That's the last person that they're gonna that they're gonna Dude. accuse. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay, my head. It's just like <laughs> Oh, hold on. Round of applause. Oh my god. <laughs> well it's 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 interesting because and i think it's it's a testament to to faith's writing um because again it's understanding that this is something that would happen in avatar the last airbender but the thing is though is that you have an episode of avatar there's multiple ones of that you can have a scene with momo that's fine it can be comic relief it can be that but the thing is, if you're going to make the decision in a comic to take the visible focus away from the scene itself, yes, you can do comic relief. But I think that it's I think that is very much her making that intentional like reflection yeah. of that, um, you know, to be able to do that. And then, of course, you know, I think it takes it even a step further. So, you know, Lilling introduces her daughters um, and her daughter uh, Yaling mends the statue. It was this thing that seemingly their cat messed up, but it was Momo who did it. But she is there to be able to mend. Again, I think it's taking that even a layer farther. It's just like, you know, we're going to be the ones who are going to help, you know, fix things, you know? But it's like them, it is their party who was responsible for breaking it in the first place, but they become the heroes in that situation. Right, okay. I'm really going to have to take a second, Colin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's oh yeah i've literally kind of got no other words that is that makes so much sense especially considering what they are doing and what happens later on as well it just it fits so well with that correlation with momo and the cat which by the way has no one ever pointed out the fact that the cat is just a cat why is no one confused that it's joined oh it's like it's it's like it's like it's like uh yeah. Miyuki no <laughs> from the fortune teller. They questioned the bear in the Earth Kingdom, but they didn't question the cat. Why does no one question the cat? Because <laughs> cats are cats. Because uh, you know, cats at the end of the day, they're they are they are separate from all of space and time. Cats will always be cats. Admittedly, true, true, <laughs> and they know it as well. They know it. Yes. So, you know, we get, uh, you know, uh, yelling men's the statue and everything. And so and so begins the beef battle uh, between Toph and Yaling. Um, Toph just straight up stunts on her and is like, 
you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, that vase, like, don't. And she just brings it over and metal bends the meteorite vase into, lo and behold, a uh, statue of herself. <laughs> this is, again, her trying to find a way to make sure that she has at least five statues of herself in future. Right? Yeah. It's all just practice makes perfect. Um, so... You know, you know, she is saying like, "Look, I." She's like, "You may think you're a, like a good earthbender. Great, I'm better than you, and I know that I am." <laughs> but like, I love how Yaling is like, she is in complete awe that she can metal bend. She is like, "Oh," <laughs> like her expression is just like complete, complete uh-huh. awe and like dumbfoundedness. It's it's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but you know, as Toph is kind of doing this, she drops a hint that she was uh you know, out there, uh, you know, by the cliff. And it's just like, oh, um, you know, have you, have you ever been out by that cliff? And, uh, you know, Yaling says like, oh, no, I haven't. It is so <sighs> subtle. And like Toph in this part, like she is, she is just straight up. Like she is having so much fun being able to be like, I can do things that these people cannot. Oh, even my comment. God. Yes. <laughs> But she's using to it to her advantage, and I'm like, Toph is she? Oh, it's so smart with what she's doing. She's like tricking them by using her bravado, and I'm like, yes, Toph, do it. Be the boss you always were meant to be, <laughs> and show them. <laughs> but then Rue, uh, Yaling's sister, uh, she talks to her. Uh, after like the uh, the gang leaves, because Yaling was like, "Hey, can I can I train with you, Toph? I would love to learn metal bending." And Toph's like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" So Rue is kind of like, "Um, you're you're kind of getting a little buddy buddy with Toph," and she seems she's very skeptical about it. She's just like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" While we're in the midst of kind of pulling off this whole operation and everything, and Yaling is just like you know what, even if she is, uh, I'm sure she's on our mm-hmm. side, you know, it doesn't matter. And it's like, it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit of naiveness. I think she's also just shell-shocked in this desire to have someone who she is clearly like so impressed by that oh, she definitely. wants to have on their side. But, you know, we get kind of like, uh, you know, we, we, we get this, we really get to kind of see insight into their dynamic because Yaling is just like, you know, no, it's like you don't, you don't really know. Yaling mm. is the more domineering sibling, and Rue just kind of accepts yeah. that she knows best. Um, we kind of see that Yaling is just like, you don't, don't, don't worry. You yeah. don't, you don't, I don't know why you're worrying about it, this. It just kind of shows the teachings a little bit because obviously Yaling is the bending sibling. Rue isn't. She has no bending. She's a complete, she's completely a non bender. And just kind of thinking about her kind of being the more, submissive of the siblings it's it makes me wonder if the reason why she's submissive is because of the teachings that she may have grown up with that her being a non-bender is like a a disgrace really and that yarling is the superior sibling Mm. and that's why she needs to be submissive to her and not question why she's doing such things because she wouldn't understand. She's just a non-bender. Absolutely, I, I think I think that's a hundred. That's a hundred percent the case. I think that you know Rue lives in a what I think would be just a very like abusive family relationship. Mm. I think because it's like she is viewed as lesser than 
Yes. And her sibling is this, like, you know, clearly a very talented earthbender. And it's this idea that, you know, she, she has, she seemingly has worth, but like we see again and again, not only in this part, but in part three as well, that just like the disrespect mm-hmm. from both her sister and her mother yeah. as to, you know, her value as, as a human being and as you know how being a non-bender just isn't makes her not as good i've got to say zuko and azuna vibes anyone Ooh, Ooh. that's a great point i like that saru is zuko lilin is ozai yelling is azula boom that is great i love that and i mean that that that's such a I, again, I think it's just, just such a classic example of like, I think this idea of how, especially in Bender families, this idea of what is what is shown as garnering favor, mm. like who is preferred because it's like power means priority. Um, oh, I like that. And I love that. So, you know, the the scene ends here and we are now kind of getting a scene outside of Lilling's palace. Uh, the gang is kind of reflecting on the meeting. And, uh, you know, Aang seems positive, but Toph is highly skeptical. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's like, again, I, I think it's this great balance that we get to see. It's what is a source of tension mm-hmm. between Aang and Toph. But I think it's also what makes them work so well together oh, because they are such opposites in yeah. that sense. Aang is trusting. He sees the best in people. Toph is like, nah, nah, man, you're, you're like, the, you're not seeing, you're not seeing what's going mm. on here. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns into a straight. It's like, mate, no, no, you got it wrong. Yeah. This is what's going on. <laughs> this is the real situation. And she goes on to tell them that she's like, look, I, I could tell that Yaling was lying when I asked her about the cliff. And, you know, and then we kind of see again that like Toph was using that as a way to, you know, try to, again, she's just, she's playing the situation. Mm-hmm. And, but then she also says, look, I, when I felt their footsteps come in, because we got when Yaling and Rue entered, we kind of get this like this moment of, it's like the tremor sense of uh, Toph kind of seeing their vibrations yeah. and her reacting. But now we get to hear her say like, look, those were the footsteps that I heard running from my father's factory mm-hmm. the other night. Um, Katara's like, uh, you know, cool, but like, that's not like all kinds of proof, but you know, Toph is like, don't worry. I got us. I got us covered on this. And she's like, she wants me to be her metal bending teacher. I'll just uh, see what I can learn from her in return. Detective Toph. <laughs> like, she is calm as a cucumber. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously, this, though. It is literally oh, the man, start the of her detective career. She is a sneaky, investigative genius. And I am here for it. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Seriously. So, uh, as they are kind of making their way back... Uh, then we finally we get to see uh, the gang is uh, kind of sees uh, an approaching eel hound, and lo and behold, Suki is back in yes! the comics. Oh, my gosh. And I love the way that they did the art oh. for her in these comics too. Again, talking about the way the different interpretations that uh, Peter Wartman did versus Guru mm. Hero, I I just love how 
we're getting this kind of new version of Suki. And, you know, obviously she's, she's, she's changed a lot in this kind of time because clearly she's, you know, still with all of the, um, you know, she's still with, uh, she's got her Kyoshi mm-hmm. warriors, but clearly she's been spending time with, uh, with Ty Lee and the gang and, uh, picking up a few skills, uh, uh along the way as we'll kind of oh, see yeah. later. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great, great oh. reunion between Sokka and Suki. Sokka is just like over the moon. He is so happy that she is here. Cause you could tell he was like bummed out when he was like, this is going to take more than yeah. a day, isn't it? He's like, all right, I'm going to send a messenger to Suki so she can like join us down here. Oh. And like, she's like, uh, you know what? I'm not waiting. I'm going to get an eel hound from a friend so I can get down here right away. Like Suki. Oh. Yes. Way yes. to get it. Like she is just no time wasted. <laughs> she, Suki is the girl that gets stuff done and she will do it fast and she will do it great because Suki is an angel and is everything. <laughs> but I love how like we get this like very heartwarming reunion between Sokka and Suki and like Katara and Anger like, oh, and then we get this amazing, <laughs> amazing expression from Toph and she's just like, I, I it is just like, she is just like, but we totally get some like I I'm gonna I'm gonna head out. Oh <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> Anyone who makes memes, do this one, because this is yes. Yes. <laughs> Just caption it. I I'm out. I'm out. You can do that there. I'm a go. <laughs> We get back to a scene at Earth and Fire Industries because Toph is like, "I'm I'm out of here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, check in." Uh, you know what? Obviously, uh, obviously, you know things with Sokka aren't working out, so I'm gonna go go see my boo at the uh, Earth and Fire Industries. <laughs> oh my um, god! I can just imagine Toph just literally just walking. It's like, "Hey, so you're my boyfriend now? Um, let's uh, <laughs> just stay in fact. But you know. She, she goes in there and like you know Satoru's he's feeling pretty down he's you know Satoru he's feeling pretty down um you know he's feeling down about the fact that his machine is completely wrecked Mm. um but you know Toph's like Toph's like you know you got me here that's all you need um and you know as she is repairing it uh he kind of reflects on the plight of the benders uh, he reflects on the plight of the benders and kind of admits to feeling responsible. Um, I know you kind of touched on this in mm. part one. We kind of talked about it. Like it, it's a great testament to his character. He's a good guy. And you know, he is just like, he's seeing the effects of his innovation and progress. And he feels empathy for these people, which I think is, it. you know, that's, he could very much be like, I don't understand what is with these people. Why are they complaining? Mm. But no, he, he understands and he feels bad about it. But Toph rebuts him and says like, look, Satoru, even if you had, even if you hadn't made these machines, there still wouldn't be enough jobs in Cranefish Town for every skilled bender. People are just looking for someone to blame, which I want to get your thoughts on uh, kind of Toph's rebuttal in this moment here. Um I think the thing that really got me with this is, firstly, I, oh God, the Toka fans are really going to hate me so much. I really am <laughs> all for, um, and I've come up with a name for it, Toru. It's the Tora and Toph. Toru. 
That that is like their it. official <laughs> chip name now, um, as dubbed by me, um, trademarked a healthy dose of Fran. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think what I really like about the scene is sort of Toff's character development in this. While she is still, she's kind of rough around the edges. She's really gruff with it. Um, she kind of understands that Satoru needs some kind of comfort. She does care about him in some way, whether it's possibly romantic or not, or he's just um, a friend that she wants to make sure is okay. What she says and the line that you've just said really kind of shows that she has become more compassionate as a person and that she's also understanding the situation a lot more. She's not just being tough, tough. She's recognising that there is a problem in this town and that the situation can't be handled in, with just using your fists. It's also that this is what people are thinking. This is what benders are thinking and feeling. They're just finding someone to blame. And the fact that she recognises that and understands it shows that she's changed so much from being someone who kind of didn't particularly care about the ins and outs. She'd ask, who do I punch? Okay, and go for it. But now she's recognising that there are other motivations for things to go on and other ways to deal with these situations. And I think it was just a really good moment for her. Like this whole part was great for her. Like before with her investigative skills, it just really shows that she's changing as a character. And I think Faith and Peter have done a really good job showing that in this in this book, uh, this series. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think that you have Toph, you know, obviously she's she sees that Satoru is like feeling down about this. Um, but I think that she just is viewing, she's viewing things from such a pragmatic angle attitude mm. in perspective um because i think that it's very much like ang's it's like how she's a foil to ang yeah. that ang is like very much just like oh this is a horrible situation like what are we going to be able to do about this but Toph is like look this is just a symptom of the greater problem of this city that the fact that like there are a ton of people here and there is just not infrastructure in place to be able to supply jobs for everybody and it's just like look you shouldn't feel down about this situation. And she's being supportive of him mm. in this moment. Like she could have been like, she could have been like sassy tough and being like, yeah, you know, it probably is uh pretty rough that you did this. You know, these people are pretty bad, <laughs> you know, pretty yeah. <laughs> not well off about it, but it's just, it's her saying like, look, you have to look at the bigger picture here. Mm. You know, th there was going to be a problem anyway. Let's see how we're going to move things forward. And that's, I think like, Again, I agree with you. It's very much a uh, it's very much a testament to uh, to her character growth. Mm. The next scene that we get is uh, down at back of the beach, um, and now we get Yaling uh, trying to learn metal bending. Um, I just love the way that this scene is set up. <laughs> you have you have her out on the beach. Toph is just relaxing in a beach chair with an umbrella over her. It is like. It is straight up out of like when she was teaching Ang. Like <laughs> she oh would just God. be like, "All right, let's see what you can do here." But like even less, like she's giving. She does not care. She is just like, you know, th this is the way I, I have to present myself in a very 
specific way for this scene. And that is exactly what we see over the course of this. It's very funny, but Toph, she has very clear intentions out of this interaction. And, uh, you know, but she, she's able to kind of start making a connection with, uh, yelling and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's saying like, ah, you know, I, I, I have faith you'll be able to learn, uh, because you know, you're one of us, you're an earthbender. You know, I tried teaching Aang and, uh, you know, he just, he just couldn't get it because, you know, he's, he's originally an airbender. He's the avatar. Like, yeah, he's not gonna be able to do it. He's not an earthbender like us. And she is just throwing, Toph is just throwing so much shade at Aang. And even though she is trying to like, you know, she is trying to like mold, uh, you know, get the Aang to think that she's on her side. I feel like a lot of this is stuff that Toph would still say regardless of the oh, situation she's trying to do. I completely believe that this isn't the first time she said this. She said these exact words to Aang. It's like, you know, I think his social skills have been stunted, you know, since he came out of that iceberg. He told <laughs> him to, that to his face 100%. Just, oh, my God. I can literally just picture it, him being like, because it's Aang, him just responding with, you know, you might be right, actually. I, I can see where you're coming from and uh, I can see your point of view because always <laughs> the mediator, Aang, always the mediator. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Toph again, she's just, she's, she's getting yelling on her side even more. She's like, Hey, those machines don't get fixed anytime soon. Eh, I'd be okay with that. Yelling agrees and asks if Toph and the avatar are close. There is an amazing close-up panel of Toph's face where she is just smirking and you can tell she's like got her oh, God. <laughs> yeah. oh it was oh Peter Wortman knocked that panel out of oh, the park completely. because it's like starts as kind of like a medium shot of Toph and then that just close-up of her and she's just like <laughs> nailed it oh my god just that word just going off in her head, just like check marking herself, just like I still got it. I I got the skills. Oh my god, I can just imagine her internal voice being like, you know what, I should be a police officer on that good. <laughs> um, you know, and then uh Yaling then invites her uh to a meeting of concerned citizens about how things are out of balance since the hundred years war, that they want to get things back to the natural order of things. Oh, God. That word. I, I feel like anytime you hear the words concerned citizens and natural order, it's like, that can't be good. No. You just need to be like, it's just, uh, no, that, uh, oh, no. Just those two words. Just That just ties in just, oh, and no. Um, And then Toph responds, like, just perfectly playing along with it. Sure. I'm a fan of the natural order. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's just it is so good and I mean the the next scene is you know we get Toph coming back to the gang and like a boss. She is just like the oh, like a boss and she's just like, "Look, Yaling, she was space metal in my hands." <laughs> She is so confident and so full of herself in this moment, but well-deserved, but it is still just like, she is just so loving 
how successful she was in this whole thing. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, props to her. Um, props to her. She did do a good job. Oh yeah, I mean, she 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 made that web, and Yaling fell right oh. into it, and uh, Toph was just like, "Yes, please, my puppet." <laughs> keep keep going <laughs> come to me my pretty come give to me. me all the information i need <laughs> oh. oh man you know it, but as you know kind of toff is like look there's a meeting we can go there let's let's just go bust some heads we got this and like guitar is like you know let's uh maybe exercise some caution <laughs> like you know all of that like guitar again and this is like you know where we saw the clash of like Toph and Aang with some things. This is like reminiscent of the clash between Toph and Katara <laughs> during the runaway of season three. Like clearly, like Toph is just like, come on, let's like let's go like gamble money and like win a bunch of stuff. And Katara's like, ah, like should we? Should we really do that? <laughs> oh, I've just got that line in my head. It's like, wow, the stars are sure pretty outside. Shame we can't see them, Toph. <laughs> Oh, oh gosh, it's, a, it's the shadiest line. line that I think Katara oh. ever had. <laughs> oh god. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so they they de- they devise a plan uh, to sneak in along with Toph, um, but with disguises. Oh. And alas, yes, we had the return of Detective Sokka, but now we get the return of Wang Fire, like. <laughs> Oh, there's so much Sokka love in this oh. like in this comic series. It is the best. <laughs> faith stands a legend, and we stand faith. <laughs> Don't you worry, Headmaster. When we get home, that's that boy is getting the beating of a lifetime. <laughs> oh my god! Don't worry, it's permanently glued to my face. This is my wife, Sapphire. Sapphire. Sapphire Fire. Fire. Nice to meet you. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Oh my god, he actually Suki is his Sapphire Fire. Yes. Oh. If they don't go with those names. It's amazing. Uh just oh. Yes. So yeah, let's take a second to talk about these disguises. Uh, so first, of course, we have Sokka as Wangfire, mm-hmm. uh, Suki and her Fire Nation get up as the, the new Sapphire Fire. Uh, we have Katara as an Earthbender, rocking that like dome Earthbender hat. I love it. And oh then we God, have Ang as Spike from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Oh my god! Like straight up, the hair, the outfit, everything. I mean, it's just like I remember that was like one of the preview images that some that they had released for this, like for this yes. uh, part two. And everyone was like, "Oh my god, Ang looks exactly like Spike. This is amazing!" <laughs> oh my god, it was so good. It took me a moment. I remember seeing this that the little section, even when reading it, I was like. Who who's that? Like it took me so long to see. Oh, it's Ang. <laughs> it looked so different with his hair <laughs> like that. It's crazy. <laughs> and I love how they even like gave him kind of like the moment where he's like scratching the wig. The wig. It's such a nice callback to when he dresses up as uh, um, Pips and Paddle. Pips and Patacopolips, like the third, because <laughs> like when he first puts on like the Appa oh. hair wig, he's just like, like scratching his head. 
Because it's just like, you know, when you're bald, I can attest. If you like put stuff on your head, it can be very, very itchy. <laughs> it is not delightful sometimes. Oh, true. Emily, as a woman who has to shave her legs, I totally get that. <laughs> it is the same feeling. Uh, and I'm not a fan. Yes. <laughs> um so they they make their way into uh this kind of secret meeting thanks to the password imbalance ah it's just such a nice little way of just being like i i love when uh writers can tastefully insert like the title of whether it's like an episode or something like that into dialogue sometimes it feels clunky Mm. as hell but this was just like nice this that that was that was such a nice little nice little touch definitely this brings us into the meeting uh this this whole scene is uh this is really the meat of the episode there this is a very very lengthy Mm -hmm. scene there's a lot to kind of unpackage with this um but it's like it's a very it's a big moment um so ang and the gang uh first when they kind of go in they notice that first off that some of the business council members are there at the meeting. Mm. Um, they also, Ang also sees like one of the boys who came up to him. It was just like, you're the best. And it's just like, Oh man, <laughs> man, you really let down the fanboy team. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, you know, as everyone's kind of gathered there, uh, Lilling begins her speech talking about the dire situation. Mm. There is a natural order to the world. Benders are leaders. We rule governments, we guide communities, we defend our families. Our abilities make us strong. They make us greater. Wow. Again, the parallels between this moment and Amon during the meeting that they sneak into where Korra and Mako sneak into the Equalist rally. It is such a parallel to both of those kind of secret underground meetings not open necessarily mm-hmm. to the public and it just again it is we are seeing the power of a, a of an individual's voice changing and emboldening public opinion oh definitely it's just it shows how powerful a person Liling is because she knows exactly what to say to rile them up to uh, she's kind of doing like a call to action which is both fascinating for her as a character that she has that power but also terrifying at the same time because what else could she do just by using her voice could she actually start another war yeah it's it's crazy i mean it really goes to show and as we'll kind of see as we get into the end of part two and into part three again the the how many steps ahead she is thinking and understanding her role in this whole situation and what it is that she needs to do and what it is that's going to be able to sustain this kind of movement. As she said at the end of part one, things are in motion. Not even the avatar can stop this. Mm. Um, so as we kind of see, we get, we get some reaction shots to this speech. Um, yelling, looks pleased Toph is like whatever (laughs) she's like it's clearly a face of just like look lady you are full of crap like i you you like get out of here no no one no one wants to listen to this (laughs) 
Um, Toph would make a brilliant heckler. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Toph would be the perfect heckler. Because she's like, I don't even need to see you to tell you that you're lame. <laughs> you don't even go here. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I, I think what's interesting is that, you know, we see Yaling, we see Toph, but then we see Liling's other daughter, Rue. Mm-hmm. And Rue looks concerned. Yeah. This is a very pro-bender speech mm-hmm. that her mother just gave. And as a non-bender, even though she's her mother, that's got to be terrifying to hear. Yeah. She's one of the only non-benders in this entire crowd. Mm. And it's just it's a, it's a very scary feeling for her. Um, and I love that they kind of gave a panel to uh, to recognize that. Yeah, no, totally. Because she's just hearing her mother literally talk about her disgust of benders, uh, non-benders, in a way. It just, it's just the idea that, it, like, it's like a form of emotional abuse, in a way. She is berating something that her daughter is in front of everyone while she stands idly at the side. And even if she maybe would tell her, like, look, you are the exception. You know, you're not you're not like them. Mm. You know, how it's it's difficult to be able to say, like, you know, it, your words, they, they tell me otherwise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going to see that that is very much a core uh, kind of inner conflict that's going to be happening uh, on kind of lilling side of things as kind of this way to kind of crumble away at like the foundation that the antagonist of this uh this comic series has Mm. so one citizen in the crowd asks uh it's like what's gonna happen when uh you know the non-benders on the council complain to the earth king and he just sends you know uh, like his army down here to, to to quash what we have going for him um and lilling outlines her plan to bankrupt the non-bender businesses and how Cranefish Town will belong to benders alone. So I want to tap into this moment because, again, we've been making lots of comparisons between Lilling and Amon. And Mm. I think what's really interesting is that Lilling's solution is like, we are going to do more of a slow burn. We are going to get these you know, business, these non-benders out of here. Mm-hmm. We're going to get them, you know, away. But I don't think that there is as much, like, I, I don't think that she is considering all of the possibilities here. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, what makes, and what made Amon's attack in revolution in Republic City so astounding and so effective was how he shut down everything. Yeah. Uh, Kevin and I just did uh, the episode discussing how uh, when Amon was, you know, he shut down like all of the communications mm. so that like they couldn't even like send word out to anybody else. Tenzin barely is able to get like a telegram out to the United Forces. But even then, like uh, Amon has all of that planned because he understands like we need to isolate this mm. so that there's no one else who can come in here to be able to make any kind of power move. We need to be established to be able to do this. And I think that like Lilling thinks that, you know, I I think a lot of it is like her hubris Mm. of thinking that benders are going to be able to, 
you know, we can, we can fend off anything. We just need to make sure that there are enough of us there, that this is a city of only benders. And then we're going to be able to thwart off anything that is going to be sent our way. Yeah. It just shows like her short sightedness that, like you said, that she talks about how she's thought so far in advance, but she may have been thinking of the future, but she clearly hasn't actually thought about her way of doing things because from the sounds of it, she thinks that just by bankrupting the non-bending businesses that not only will that get them out of town, but it won't involve the earth kingdom that because the logic there is when a town goes out of business or that the town itself starts to fail because businesses fail, a larger governing body gets involved, at least like in, in our world, it, that's usually what happens a bigger governing body gets involved to deal with the situation. But she doesn't seem to think that would even be a possibility here. They, The moment they are bankrupt, they're just going to up and leave and go somewhere else. So I think it's she seems to have been speculating more than anything. So while she seems to be a very intelligent woman and has thought things through, I don't think she's thought through everything, which I think is going to be her downfall, maybe, that she hasn't considered every possibility. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, is that she is like, look, I I know that like, I am going to be able to have this movement that I'm going to have these people who are going to, you know, it's just, I need the support of the benders. As long as I have that, as long as I have this community behind me, then we can do anything. Cause I think again, it gets back to her thinking that benders are this superior group of individuals that Mm -hmm. they don't need to worry about it because that's all they need. They just need benders and power. So as she's kind of doing this, uh, you know, Yaling, uh, Yaling brings up Toph mm. um, and how she's like kind of claiming like, look, she's on our side. And then Toph is like, yeah, no, you're crazy and you need to go down <laughs> by the power invested in me by me. You're under arrest. <laughs> she faithful oh is in gosh. the building. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how it goes like to a panel back to Ang and he's like, oh, Toph. <laughs> so I guess we can't leave quietly now. Nope. Um, oh, so a fight breaks out and uh, the gang uh, gets into the mix. Uh, Lilling in this moment, she decides to uh, turn the crowd against the Avatar, taking the momentum of the meeting and directing a negative pers- uh, perspective against Aang as the Avatar. She's just saying, like, look, you know, he's made his choice. He's siding with the non-benders. He's not your Avatar. And you hear all these people from the crowd are like, you're not my Avatar. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it is it is showing how it's like quickly, it's just like, if you have a crowd that's turning against you, then it's just like, you know, uh, no one's going to, you're not going to find allies in this you can't just be like, hey, I'm right. And we saw a lot of like Cora deal with this. Mm. Um, she deals with this a lot where she is just trying to say like, look, you know, this is clearly this is clearly what we should be doing. But like, you know, it's you can't just change people's minds like right away. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it. And. It's interesting because, uh, you know, as the fight kind of continues, uh, we see that the gang, they, they make short work of like these benders. Like, I mean, that, that that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Like Aang and the gang, 
they're the ones who they defeated the, the the fire lord like they took on like a bunch of airships they did so much stuff they are so competent a group of benders is not going to be able to stop them like this they are they are such a like working team there's just they stood no chance oh completely <laughs> i just like the the enthusiasm of this um brawling crowd that they believed they could take on team avatar that um stopped a hundred year war you know, it's like you know you got to give them props for you know trying i i guess it was like the guy who was like uh confronting ang at the end of part yes. one he's just like i'm gonna be the one to take you down and Aang's just like uh cool all right i appreciate your ambition it's like it's good to have goals <laughs> it's just like nah dude you don't you don't know what you're getting into here oh god I love it. it's good to have goals but try and make them realistic yeah <laughs> um so suki uh is in the fight of course yes uh and she is showing off her new chi blocking abilities which like i love that the uh the onomatopoeia for it is just like a like thock yeah it just like is just showcasing like shutting down that oh my gosh i was i was so thrilled by that because um i'm just gonna do a little thing towards my channel in um in June of this year, I did like a theory discussion video about how the Kyoshi Warriors were going to learn chi blocking and eventually create the chi blockers that we know in Legend of Korra. And I was proven correct. I love it. Yeah. Oh man. Mic drop. <laughs> yes. Um. So she shows off these chi blocking abilities. And then in the midst of the fight, Sokka asks Rue, like, how can you be on their side when their interests are clearly in direct conflict with your identity as a non-bender? And again, it's like, it's fomenting that uncertainty that we saw Rue had, Mm. you know, in this look that she had after her mother's speech and the way that her sister kind of dismissed her before, um, you know, we, we can kind of see that there's something kind of, there's something going on on that side mm-hmm. of things. Um, and Lilling, she sees that the battle's lost, um, but she understands that Aang won't kill her. So she stays behind so that her daughters and the others can escape. She understands that the movement is more important than the individual. And, Again, understanding the power of public opinion. Mm. So I just want to get your kind of overall thoughts about this whole scene uh, here in the meeting, uh, some of the action that was shown and some of kind of like the uh, philosophies that were kind of thrown out there. Uh, I think the, the main thing that I kind of just ended up pulling from this scene is predominantly the interaction between Sokka and Rue, just kind of Rue in general, because... Like, as you mentioned just before, we see this sort of seemingly internal conflict that's going on with her as to everything that's going on. Like, she's seeing her mother basically begin to start a riot for Cranefish Town. She's deliberately feeding on these people's opinions of non-benders, which she herself is a non-bender. And seemingly is trying to get them to go rabid in a way by fully turning against the non-benders to destroy their lives and their livelihoods. And by having Sokka then question her as well, just like, how can you 
agree with this. They're, they don't like you. They're against you as a person. And things that happen later on, it's just this whole scene, even though like the fight and Toph being like a badass and Suki being a chi blocker now, which is ace, that's the thing that I keep taking away from it is Rue. Because she's just such an interesting character and I, I, I want to know what's going to happen to her, what she's going to do, how she's going to react. Is she going to be the turning point of this whole movement? Is she going to be the worst one of the bunch? And this is like a thing, this is actually kind of just popped into my head now. Is she the person who's going to start the equalist movement? Mm. Because of everything she's seen. Mm. Or this hatred. Could she be the first person to start the equalists? Mm. That's an interesting mm. theory. I like I like the idea of that. Again, we I mean there's so much, you know, when we got to the Legend of Korra, we there was kind of like an understand understanding that like this again was something that had been building over decades. Um mm. so they're able to uh you know, they're able to escape. And we have this kind of like this short little, you know, touching scene um in the streets where you know, Yaling is she's freaking out because she like she lost her bending from the chi blocking and you know rue is trying to comfort her and then her you know yaling is like what if what if it doesn't come back then i'll be just like you and oh my god it's like seriously yaling has zero awareness of her sister's feelings and how mm. that might be just not okay like it's just, yeah. but I think again, I think I think it is very much. It's because of this superiority complex, yeah, that her mother has instilled in her that benders are superior, and it makes you when you think that you are superior, you tend mm. to dismiss the feelings and the ideas and the thoughts of those that you believe to be inferior. And that's that's always the problem with having like trying to start a dialogue between people who think that they are better than others because they don't take the others seriously. Mm, completely, and this is kind of like like I'm, I I mentioned before about Azula, the Azula and Zuko sort of parallel here. Yaling is definitely an Azula type character. She does think she is superior, and the idea of being seen at the same level as Zuko or, or Rue in this case is just unbearable because she'd be seen as lesser in her mother's eyes as well. And it's just, it's such an interesting, but then also devastating thing that she'd rather her sister be miserable and be made to feel miserable than even consider being a non-bender. Definitely. So, the final scene that we get here is the gang reflecting. Uh, they kind of talk about their next steps. Uh, they understand, uh, you know, that Lily, keeping Lily, you know, because they, they have Lilling imprisoned. Uh, Toph has kind of made this this cage uh, that she won't be able to get out of. Um, and Katara notes how Lilling is the one who is putting these thoughts of Bender supremacy in the heads of these people. But Sokka his response, I think, says it all. You know, she is the one doing this. But I don't think that, I don't think what's happening in Cranefish Town 
is going to go away if we keep her in jail. She's bringing to the surface resentments between benders and non-benders that have been brewing for ages. Mm. It's this understanding that keeping Lilling in prison, it's not going to solve the greater problem of the kind of many benders in this city feeling unheard, that this unrest, that this tension that has been building, you know, it's like because we have this microcosm of people here in this new modern city, you are taking all of this, as Saka said, this resentment that's been Mm. kind of building for ages And now you are putting it in a pressure cooker and one person taking one person out. That's not going to, that's not going to, that's not going to solve it. And Sokka sees that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's, he's definitely, he's the kind of person who would like that intelligence that he has about these things. And he's right. The, the whole thing of like, it's bringing to surface the resonance between benders and non-benders that have always been there. If anything, he's referring to the Hundred Year War as well. There is resentment from the non-benders about the Hundred Year War towards benders because benders started that war. But then in turn, there's now resentment from benders to non-benders. So it's just going to continue to build because there's going to be something new each time that's going to set set out their differences between them and kind of shine a light on it. And yeah, I just... This fact that Stoker is able to recognize this and say what everyone is kind of thinking but not really realizing just shows that he is the most intelligent at current out of all of them and why he becomes the council leader in the end as well. And I think it's just it, it, it's a testament to his how crucial his perspective is in this conflict mm. um, because, you know, in Sokka's Master, uh, episode four of season three, you know, we see Sokka deal with this idea that, you know, he, he confesses to Katara, like, you guys are amazing at bending. You can do these uh, incredible feats. And I'm just a guy with a boomerang. And it takes him having this experience with Master Pian Dao to find that self-worth again. To have this mm-hmm. experience to be able to understand that. But you know what? Not every person is going to have that perspective. Not every person is going to have that experience. And Sokka recognizes that. I think he understands that Like there are many people who feel the way that he felt. And that, again, it's this, pers- this matter of perspective. He's been able to kind of see all of this he's gone to all of these different cultures and i think it's what gives him this incredibly well-rounded perspective from the eyes of a non-bender surrounded by some of the most not only powerful benders in the world but also some of the most compassionate and empathetic these are these are great Mm -hmm. examples of benders who will work with non-benders but he still felt those feelings even though their intention was never to make him feel less than or like he wasn't worthy. And it just, I I think it was just so great, uh, you know, for him to kind of have this moment again, there's some great soccer love in this series. Definitely. As there should be in all series. Yes. Yes. And the final thing we get here 
is Toph saying, you know what? If she is, is spewing these words of inspiration, if she is showing how Bender's supremacy is the way to really kind of make this worth it, I have an idea. Why don't we take her bending away? <laughs> it is such a brutal, direct, and blunt way to approach this problem. And it is so quintessentially tough. Mm. And yeah. I think it, it sets up such an amazing point of conflict for Aang. Yeah. And it, we, as we are going to see, that is going to be the main point of conflict in part three. Because... Mm. And, and what is so fascinating, and we'll get into this when we get to part three, but it is, we were just, when we were just reviewing uh, Legend of Korra and the flashback scenes of mm-hmm. Aang and Toph dealing with Yakone and how quickly and decisively Aang decides to take Yakone's bending away. Yeah. I, I think it is like, it, it really, it shows the weight of this decision. And I think, again, uh, Kevin and I were talking about this. It is the the terrible responsibility that comes with such a, a, a crazy power to be mm-hmm. able to remove the identity of someone and to be able to make things so that they, this idea that they are a bender, that they have these abilities, that they are something greater in a way and removing that. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 just the idea of Aang having that in his back pocket and seeing how how he's going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that and with that that wraps up part two. But uh, what are what are some final thoughts uh, from you uh, on on part two here? Well. <laughs> I suppose the main thing that I have, and it's mainly about um, Lillian as as a character. Um, I think the thing that I've taken a lot from her is not only is she kind of reminiscent of the Amon figure, but also she, how she's a bit of a hypocrite as well in terms of the resentment that she's playing off of. So um, in the earlier scenes that we see when the gang go to her mansion um, and going to our topic of um, the economic um, and political like, divide and such in Cranefish Town, I find it ironic that she is playing off of this thing that benders have co- uh, non-benders have caused this problem, this lack of funds, this lack of support of benders due to these technological factories when she is living a life of luxury with Mm. no fears of lack of wealth or lack of an actual house because hers very clearly will not fall apart because it is lavish. Like Sokka said, she calls it her humble home. It's not humble at all. So I find it ironic that she talks about this uh, getting rid of the non-benders so they can live a better life when she's already living a better life. Just she's just not talking about it. Oh, that's that's a great point. Oh, I love that. It it, it really is. I, I think it's just like it's the level of delusion 
that mm-hmm. Willing has uh, about this situation. But I, I think that, you know, it also, I think that's a byproduct of leading a type of, you know, movement like this is that I think that mm-hmm. you have to be so bought into this idea that you have to ignore the things that can make you a hypocrite. It doesn't mm-hmm. take that away that it's saying that's just like it is still that that's what it is. But it's like, I think for someone in that position, they have to just be so bought into it. I think that that's the case. She, her, mm-hmm. her hubris and her just overconfidence over the situation. That's we, we see that it is what she believes is a strength. But as we as readers, we can see is going to it's her weakness. It's going to be her downfall. Um, yeah. And we really kind of see that come to a head here as like kind of the points of conflict are really laid out, setting mm. us into this final act of, uh, of imbalance. And I absolutely love the way that they, they handled this. We got some great action in this part. Mm. We got Suki coming back. Uh, <sighs> we got Toph, like just, you know, really taking charge of the situation in a great yeah. way. And like really working, you know, she's, working people like they're space metal in her hands yeah (laughs) chief beifong is here and i am living for it and i've never been more (laughs) thrilled in my life get her those five statues soon to be republic city she deserves all five (laughs) you know what she deserves six she deserves six (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness Alrighty, folks. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Imbalance Part 2. Be sure to uh, stay tuned. We're going to be wrapping out uh, Imbalance Part 3 next week as we kind of finish up our discussion on this. Uh, So, Fran, thank you so much again for, uh, for joining me on this discussion. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me back. It's uh, it's been it's been a it's been a thrill of a ride. Um, I can't wait for part three. (laughs) absolutely and uh frank can you tell listeners a little bit about how they can find you and how they can uh check out your stuff and find you on social media i can indeed so you guys can find me on instagram and facebook at a healthy dose of fran and uh if you guys are interested in avatar the last airbender legend of Korra, and want to know such things as why amon was right or how soccer is wiser than Iroh, you can find that on my YouTube channel, which is A Healthy Dose of Fran. I'm posting videos every Sunday. So, uh, yeah, go subscribe, hit the bell, and, of course, subscribe to Legend of Portalcast, because if you aren't already subscribed, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, remember, folks, you can find us, Legend of Portalcast, on Instagram and Facebook, Portalcast Pod on Twitter, and our website, legendofportalcast.com, where you can listen to the episodes, but then you can also listen in on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, And if you're there, be sure to leave us a rating and review uh, and let us know how we're doing. I uh, love hearing your feedback and uh, love being able to uh, uh, see what you guys think of the show because we're always looking to uh, improve the show in ways that we can get better. But uh, thank you all so much again for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for part three coming out next week of Imbalance. Thank you all. And that's it for now. And until next time, eh, let us leave.